The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC, brought to you by The Athletic UK. The rather frustrating one-all draw at Oakwell to Barnsley, a bit of horrific officiating from Tim Robinson, essentially gave the Tykes the lead on the stroke of half-time. Tosin conceding a penalty after a foul on Carlton Morris, which we will come on to. Tykes made it very difficult for us, stunting our usually free-scoring whites until a left-footed, long-range effort from Harry Wilson curled into the top left-hand corner, snatching a point from the jaws of defeat. Then, in possibly the most Fulhamish moment of the season, we managed to snatch a draw out of the jaws of victory by Harry Wilson placing an open goal header wide five minutes later. Now, we've been a bit spoiled this season and a draw away from home caused by a poor refereeing decision isn't the end of the world. No, there's plenty still to be cheerful about. Spring is round the corner, Fulham are going up and Stamford Bridge is falling down. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a great pod today. We'll dissect all of the action from Saturday. We've got a very, very exciting announcement as well and we'll give you a little West Brom Ajabian preview. With me today to help break down all of yesterday's action is Mr. Ben Jarman. How are you doing, sir? Hello, Coops. I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Mr. Farrell Monk. Hi, hi, George. Hello, everyone. And the author, John Farrell. How are you doing, sir? Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. I'm an O'Farrell, unlike Farrell Monk. Or you can call (laughs) Farrell O'Farrell and call me Farrell, whatever way you want to do it. <laughs> got you. I apologise. A slip of the tongue is Mr. Mr. John O'Farrell. Benjamin, I believe you've got some three-word reviews for us. Would you like to kick off, please, sir? Yes, of course. I'll gladly kick off with some three-word reviews. We had quite a lot of them actually, and a few of them to open the three-word reviews account were was a couple that were nice duplicates. Were uh, take the point, which we uh, take the point. Sorry, which we had a, a few submissions for, and pitch prevents progress, which are some quite nice alliteration there. But a few of the favourites were Rick Cardis uh, with Oakwell, move on. Read all nice. over with rotate midfielders, please. And I think that's going to form quite a large part of what I'm going to say during this podcast. Mm-hmm. Greg Grimmer's unwell at Oakwell was um, was a favourite of mine. Josh Whitcomb's split screen Harry. Uh, Londinium's Wilson's wonder and blunder. And Nate Scott's uh, Harry's disastrous masterclass. Uh, and it's always nice to see Nate submitting a three-word review with his nice shiny blue tick that we don't have. So, cheers to that, Nate. <laughs> yeah, we'll get it one day, I'm sure. I'm sure. I mean, they've, who knows? They've, like, that they've stopped giving happen. them out, I think. They've stopped. <laughs> they they run out. Them, I think they run out of blue ticks, yeah. Oh, <laughs> there doesn't they're seem to be any. Like sweets. <laughs> yeah, there used to be. Because I got one early on, I was like, oh, I've got a blue tick. And then it's like, oh, they've got a blue tick. That's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Doesn't seem to be any sort of rhyme or reason as to how they're distributed, does it? It's just, um, I mean, obviously, John, you're you're fully deserving of yours. Thank you, um, thank you. I didn't ask for it. They didn't. Somebody else did it. (laughs) Yeah, I was very very excited to hear that you're um, you're currently working on the script for Chicken Run Two at the moment. Yeah, that's coming out uh, next year. It's in production at the moment down at Bristol. We got uh, a a heist movie this time. It's got it's called the Dawn. It's called the Dawn of the Nugget. So instead of the old one was set in the fifties, this one comes forward to the sixties and the beginning of fast food. So you'll have to oh, wait and see no. what the story of that is. Incredible. This sounds I amazing. Mean, yeah, yeah, it's Dawn- undeniably one of, I think, the greatest British films of all time. So yeah, yeah. very much look forward to the Dawn sequel. Of the Nugget sounds, Dawn of the Nugget just sounds like what my, my uh, living room looks like on a Sunday morning after uh, 
after a big day, after a big day out. Um, stuff to look forward to. Anyway, let, let's get back to the uh, topic at hand. Uh, j- just before we get to the game, uh, yesterday's game, John, I just want to ask you a question just off the bat. Uh, how, how much is your heart bleeding for for Chelsea fans at this oh, current moment in God. time? Uh, poor, poor Chelsea fans. All they've had is 20 years of success bought with dirty money from the corrupt mafia boss that bought their club. And now they're going, oh, it's outrageous. No one's thinking of the fans. It's like they've had all this dodgy success piled on take it completely for granted and uh now to see them singing his name over the applause for ukraine it's like i'm i've have feel no pity for them whatsoever then yeah i've I've got an american co-writer i'm working with at the moment his son supported chelsea when he was in los angeles went to a game and went oh they're horrible and stopped supporting (laughs) them and so uh you know i mean i've got good friends who are I've got good friends who are Chelsea fans, but there's a lot of not very nice people there as well. So I don't feel any sympathy for that a lot. And um, frankly, I think the th- best thing to do is to pull Stamford Bridge down, make it uh, public housing for Ukrainian refugees, and everyone can go and support Fulham instead. Except the exactly. nasty Chelsea fans we don't want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I echo all of that last night. Yeah. Yeah. Pull it down, build it up in black and white. That's and what I thought John was going to say. Pull it down, build it bl- back up in black and white. And that would have been perfect. <laughs> No, uh, well. you, you guys are the writers not me <laughs> <laughs> yeah never never is the yeah. uh the old adage of one team in fulham uh yeah more true Abs- absolutely say. absolutely i hey. don't know how it's going to play out i mean i don't know what where where it goes from here because they're a big club they're going to probably get someone else dodgy buying them they'll probably be the saudi government or something and uh but i think it's a good moment on a serious note i think it's a good moment to stop and look at you know whether there needs to be a um fitness qualification for owners of you know what is part of our cultural landscape our football teams should be owned by fit and proper people and that includes mm. this, whether the saudi government qualify for that i don't think they do so abramovich you know shahid khan yes that's all right you know car parts billionaire fine <laughs> Mohammed Afar, i don't know don't know <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it was we were very grateful to him at the time the, the thing that uh that gets me is that there's also a club in the championship currently sitting in second place that are part owned by Russian businessmen. Oh, yeah. And they haven't had any sanctions brought against them just yet, but it'd be very interesting if they did before the end of this season. We should start campaigning for a points deduction. Just, to, just, to, just <laughs> yeah. so we can start celebrating now. There's <laughs> <laughs> also like Abramovich has Israeli citizenship as well, so I'm sure he'll snake his way out of it some way. Yeah, he'll, he'll buy Tel Aviv or something. He also got yeah. Portuguese citizenship the other day as well. He collects them. Yeah, he's got more passports than James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> right, should we uh, get to the game at hand? Yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. It's, it's an interesting situation. And undeniably, I think that the most likely outcome is that they'll manage to, you know, find a new buyer and end up in a fairly similar situation to where they were beforehand. But for the time being, it's very fun to... Uh, to yes. rejoice in their demise for, for at least the moment. But anyway, Farrell, you made the trip to Barnsley yesterday. Uh, yes, another 12.30 kickoff. Hopefully the last of the season. You know, I mean, I know we got um, our match to Nottingham Forest that's need to be rearranged, but, and subject to TV and this, that and the other, but that's unlikely to be on a on 12.30 on a Saturday. So hopefully this is the last one. Uh, how was the atmosphere at the match yesterday? It must have been quite an early start, I'd imagine. Yeah, I was on the train at, 8.30 in the morning, bumped into Don Betts as usual in the in the Waitrose, picking up tinnies before before getting on the train, which is always always nice. Yeah, and it was just such a weird journey because there was no, I don't think there was like a really easy, cheap way of getting up to Barnsley. So you had to change twice. And there was actually a nice little bonus moment because I, I thought we'd have to 
walk in between Wakefield Westgate and Wakefield Kirkgate until my friend was like, no, no, you can get a train in between the two. And I thought we'd have to take, make like a 20 minute walk to try and make our, our train. But it was nice. Everyone, everyone got there and we, it was a nice atmosphere. I think it was a good atmosphere. You, you know, you know, the people who are making that trip to Barnsley for a 1230 kickoff are all, are all hardened supporters or ones that are going to have to get up and uh, that early to to make to make Barnsley. It was the first time I've been to Barnsley. It's very nice that it's quite close to the station. A lot of these a lot of stadiums these days you have to traipse right outside of town into an old industrial estate, but this one is uh, is quite close to the town center. Took my friends to what was probably a bit of a weird location for a pre-match beer which was in the leisure center next door. So uh, there was a nice smelling fumes of of chlorine from the swimming pool as I'm trying to taste my uh, my Stella. But uh, all in all, I think it was I think it was all it was all all a pretty good day all round. Uh, but obviously, the football is is a large part of it. And yeah, it was probably a result that both sets of ha- fans were quite all right with in, at the end of the day. Mm, yeah, I mean, Ben Barnsley have been enjoying some form of late. They had a good win against Middlesbrough and a fairly impressive draw against Stoke. Despite them being 22nd in the table, they're four points off the drop just below Reading. And we're getting to that time of year when maybe it's a little bit more difficult to face those teams that are fighting for survival at the bottom of the table. Were there any elements of Barnsley's game that particularly impressed you yesterday as they did make it difficult for us to get back into it? Yeah, I think Barnsley have been on a great run recently. Their last six results that were highlighted by Sky really represent that too. I think their their new manager, Poya Ashbogi, has taken a while to set in, settle in. And they've taken a while to come round to his playing methods. But ultimately, I think that now they look a much better side. They look much more organised and I think you have to give Barnsley immense credit for the way they played for you know 80 plus minutes of that game yesterday because they had some superb organisation throughout. I think that they nullified all Fulham's main threats for, for the majority of the game and they actually made us look very ordinary for large parts of yesterday. I thought that in particular their, their wing-backs and that, that three-at-the-back system with some two quite deep wing-backs meant that we couldn't get in behind them we couldn't get anywhere near as many cutbacks as we wanted to if you've if you've seen Fulham recently of course we all have you know that we rely really heavily on cutbacks from deep inside the box and to overload that box uh, and and to use the ball really really efficiently in wide areas and Barnsley restricted that massively they also did a great job of crowding out the middle and we were talking in the Fulhamish community telegram chat that Surrey just looked like a complete passenger uh, at times in that midfield and I, I wholly agree they were running through um, the, the base of our midfield at ease and Surrey was just getting turned on his heels all the time and I'm not really sure the balance yesterday there was as good as we'd like it to be and I think on the whole, this was a team that looked like they'd played three consecutive games in a very short amount of time with very little rotation. Do you think, Ben, that uh, Seri's performance comes comes down to fatigue then? But yeah, who would you have played instead of Seri and, Har- and Harrison Reed in the middle then? I think I, I would have c- continued with Harrison Reed, but I would have switched him to the deeper role and I would have put Tom Kearney in alongside Seri, like we did in that second half. I think, as I said, towards the end of that a fairly long ramble is that this looks like a team that has played three games really quickly in such a short space of time and there was a couple of elements in that midfield that you thought they probably need a rest or they probably need to be rotated out I thought Fabio yesterday was very very flat um, didn't create anywhere near enough as we normally expect from him and when, when he did he looked quite tired and quite lacklustre I think the easy thing for people to say is that 
he didn't get his move to Liverpool in January and since then he's been really bad. But actually, there have been flashes of brilliance from Fabio in, in all, every single game he's he's been a part of. I think this just underlines the fact that we need to rotate more. And this is one of my biggest attractors about Marco Silva. If you can have them, given the season that we've had, but he just doesn't rotate as much as I'd like him to. Um, and I think that at some point it does catch up with Fulham and yesterday was probably a, a very good indication that we need a rest. I would anticipate that a few a few changes coming in ahead of Tuesday's game at the Hawthorns. John, it was fairly uneventful first half really. Fulham looked a bit flat. Um, I'm going to come on to the penalty now. So Tosin yeah. committed to a challenge outside the area on Carlton Morris. Uh, it looked like his shirt was pulled in the build-up and then yeah. fairly clumsy, but very, very soft penalty. Um, our very own Dan Cook in the Telegram chat said before the game, ref watch, it's Tim Robinson, who I don't think has ever given a decision in our favour, not intentionally, just due to massive incompetence. Worst <laughs> in the league. In your yeah. opinion, John, was it a penalty? Do you think that's harsh or...? No, it's definitely, it definitely wasn't a penalty. It's one of those ones where you look at it and you go, well, that's not a penalty. Because they sort of brushed against each other and then he goes down. And then you look at the replay and you think, oh, it's a free kick to us. He was at his, uh, toasted at his um, uh, shirt tugged outside the area. It should have been a free, free kick to us. And uh, then he, the player falls over in the box. Softest penalty I've ever seen. I don't think it's a conspiracy against Fulham or, you know, I just think it was just an incompetent choice. We haven't got VAR in the championship, which is uh, in that in this uh, instance was a shame. But it um, suddenly meant that for most of the game after that, I was going, oh, my God, if we can get a point out of this, I'll be relieved. So it made it a, not a very enjoyable watch because a, I was indignant at the injustice of it. And then mm. and then the fact we're losing to Barnsley, no, no disrespect Barnsley fans, but you're fighting relegation. We're flying at the top of the division. And that is just three points in the bag. You know, I'd already worked out our total before the game. And that's what always <laughs> happens if you do that. Never, <laughs> never add up. Never add three onto what you've got before the game, because that's always what happens. And in the end, I was glad we got a point because it's like, oh, good, we're still undefeated. But never mm. a penalty. I don't think anyone would look at that and go, well, I've seen him given, which is one of those stupid things that people say anyway. <laughs> too right. <laughs> and also, uh, Fulham seemed to ruin a lot of people's accumulators. I was getting messages from friends being like, you never back the early kickoff. It never goes well. Oh, really? For, okay. for reasons like this, it always seems to go wrong. Farrell, the normally shy and retiring Cam Ramsey was quite vocal on Twitter following the penalty. <laughs> so um, he said, this is, I'm, I'm going to quote him here. I've, I'm sorry, penalty or not, but what the flip is Tosin doing? I'm paraphrasing here. Morris is evidently a physical striker. Why is he goading him into scenarios like that? Very disconcerting first 45 minutes against the Barnsley side running on pure bravado. Pick it up for flip's sake. We spoke before about concerns of uh, Tosin and Reem's high press and committing into challenges and not making those challenges and sometimes leaving us exposed when those challenges are missed. Uh, was this an example yesterday of this? Do you think Tosin could arguably be to blame for the penalty, even if it you know, wasn't a penalty? I think penalty aside... We have spoken about recently, certainly the drop-off in form of Tosin a little bit. I still think he's, you know, good for us. Don't get me wrong, I'm not going to call and say that he needs to be dropped or anything. But we do play a brand of football that is high risk, high reward. And we do play a brand of football where we sort of, we do, we do fashion our chances. We do build them meticulously to try and create openings. And Tosin is a good player for that. However, he has been caught on the ball quite a few times recently. Thankfully, it's never really led to very much, but it is started to creep in. And obviously, 
yesterday it resulted in the penalty it's just you know it's probably highlighted a bit more because it resulted in you know that 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 shocking decision but yeah I I still think overall he's you know essential to this team and I think he's essential to the way we play the same way that Tim Ream is you know the fact he's such a good footballer and you can see that how much better a footballer he is playing up against other you know, uh, opposition strikers that that is, you know, Tim Ream is quite clearly a better person on the ball. He always seems to get the better of his man. And more often than not, Tosin does as well. We saw the effectiveness of it the other night when he, when Tosin galloped forward and played that ball into Harry Wilson for the second goal and it worked beautifully. And that's just something else that we have in the locker that these players are expected not just to keep the ball out of our, our net, but also to be an essential part of our team. And I think that Tosin still does that. It just needs to sort of not get too overconfident. Fair enough. It also, with the injury that um, Tim Ream picked up, seemingly, I mean, I, I saw a photograph of it. It looked like a, a very, very nasty um, sort of gash on the side of his head, which I would imagine would rule him out of contention for for, for Tuesday. Ben, what do you think we're going to do defensively, assuming that Ream's out of action? I mean, if you look at our bench, I suppose we've got Hector, Mawson, Terence Congolo, all, you know, I don't know whether they're fit at the moment. How would you expect Marcus Silva to, to line up in defence if, if Ream can't play? Yeah, to be honest, I've got no idea if Congolo is fit, Mawson's fit or Hector's fit. I, I imagine that it will be Hector that comes straight back in because I think he's he's been the one that's been making the matchday squads, whereas the other two haven't from memory. So I would imagine that would be our tweak there. I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of midfield rotation there uh, there too. As well, maybe we might see something like a Chalabar and Kearney pivot in the middle there. Um, and I think that overall, we just need a little bit more rotation. I think there are some people that were just dying out for a rest. Just so I actually thought that the game yesterday was probably crying out for someone like Cabano, who can hold the ball up and make something happen, where yesterday Bobby really didn't really didn't really do that. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Bobby Dickard over Reed, and I know that sometimes he splits the opinion of the fan base because sometimes he has a shocker, sometimes he's incredible. But I think yesterday was one of those times where you just wanted Cabano to come on and, and Dickard over Reed to go off. I didn't think he had a, too much of an impact on the game. But yeah, sorry, the main <laughs> the main point here is around the, the defence. I think that we'll see Hector step in um, there for Reed because... He's not going to be able to play with a massive gash on his head unless he does a Wayne Rooney from all those years ago. And I, I, I doubt that he will pass any sort of concussion tests ahead of Tuesday. I think it's the protocol was a week, but as a qualified referee, Farrell might tell me otherwise. I've got no idea. <laughs> Just going to put that out there. <laughs> no, not a clue. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think Hector would be the uh, the obvious um, replacement, but we shall see, I guess. John, I think in the second half, we came out and um, with a bit more intensity and pushed on, caused Barnsley some difficulties. But I think in the quality of the pitch, it was it was very hard to sort of find that final ball. Yeah, let's I- come on to the goal. Surely, Harry Wilson's curling effort, one of the best of the season, would you say? Oh, beautiful. It's a fantastic goal. I mean, we are spoiled. We had Nico's goal the other week, which was fantastic. And then this one as well, beautifully placed. And what was great was that the position of the camera, if you're watching it on Sky, which I was, mm. meant that it was straight down the barrel. And you could just see the moment it left its foot. It was like, oh, I think that's going in the top corner. And it did. And, um, you know, very late on, very big relief for Fulham fans. And sort of justice after Morris, you know, had got that penalty against us. So um, I was like, oh, and I think we had the energy and the attitude that we could have won it. If we'd gone for another 15 minutes, I think we would have won it. And that's very unfortunate that, you know, 
that Harry then missed the uh, header, which actually looked easy, but he just came at it and it just got the wrong side of his head and went wide. But I think maybe he was trying to place the, you probably kind of come on to this anyway, but he was, he was trying to place that and he should have just got for, gone for the goal, you know, yeah. and uh, I think it would have gone in. But yeah, it was a beautiful goal. And uh, he's such a class player, Wilson. I've loved watching him. And the other, the other thing I'll say, just watching the, the, the Barnsley players, they've all got their names on the back. And then that says Whoop above them. So it looks like all of their first names are Whoop. Whoop Morris, Whoop Quest. It's like, <laughs> so I kept going, what's his name? Oh, I see it's a sponsor. I don't even know what a Whoop is. Are we supposed to buy a Whoop? What do we do? <laughs> Maybe they're just like, really excited by, the, by those players and they go, Whoop, whoop Morris. Morris. Whoop, whoop Morris. <laughs> It's like, I love it when the sponsors, you've no idea what it's like. The Carabao Cup. I don't know. Carabao is a type of water buffalo. I don't know what. <laughs> Am I supposed to buy water buffaloes? What is it? What is a world, what is a world mobile? Let's be honest. Was, what, that's a good, good point. I mean, am I going to visit Rwanda? Probably not. It's not, you know, <laughs> you see that on their shirt. It's like, I'm not, thanks guys, but I probably won't. <laughs> I don't know if any of these sponsorships make any difference whatsoever. But yeah, great play, Harry Wilson. Thought he should have been man of the match, actually, despite his header, just for that goal. But the pitch was, I mean, I don't think we can really blame the pitch too much because it is we are in the championship. I know we like to think, mm. we're, you know, silky Fulham. I was quite frustrated by the way we played out from the back so much because we just kept getting pressed right back again and it looked quite risky some of the time. And then some of the other, the other thing that bugs me, just whilst I'm moaning, <laughs> is short, short corners. Why do we take short corners? If you, A corner is a cross into the box. So just get the cross into the box. Don't fit far around on the wing because sometimes, there's a couple of times yesterday when no... No cross ever materialised because they fought around with short corners. And I just would always say, just get the ball to our midfield and, you know, get it in there. So a bit too fancy, I thought, yesterday. Too too, too, too put under pressure at the back. And it was a bit scary at times. They could have gone 2-0 up at one point. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure Ben is jumping at the bit about uh, short corners right now. Yeah. No, no, no. I, 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 yesterday, I completely agree. We were mucking around at short corners way too much for my liking. And the ball, as John rightly says, the ball wasn't getting in the box. I completely do see the the point of short corners if you're going to then manoeuvre the other team around and then get the ball in. But if you're yeah. not, if you if the ball's not going in, what's the point in doing it? Yeah, hundred percent. I, I do hundred percent agree. I think yeah, that, yeah, he's right. Yeah, perhaps we should have taken a, a slightly more direct approach. But I mean, it's worked. Uh, sticking to our guns and working in this style of play has done all right so far this season. So yeah, I guess it's just, just one of those things. Yeah, definitely. I think one of th- what we're, we're talking about with Barnsley making the pitch long and dry and sticky is actually probably a massive plaudit towards us and like a, shy, a show of respect because the only way that Barnsley could get us down to their level was to make sure that we couldn't play the football we wanted to. And I think that showed because the passing was sloppy. First touches were all over the place. None of the tricks and flicks that we normally see come off. So I think that that, that worked too, as much as we can dismiss it. I think it's a, it's a great level of respect. And people used to do it to Barcelona as well, didn't they? Obviously, yeah. we're not Barcelona and we're not Real Madrid, but there not, is that. Yeah, not long grass was the other trick. They used to not mow the grass for their, for their yeah. skillful silk teams. They're sort of going out there in a cornfield trying to pass the ball. Mm. It doesn't work, you know. But Absolutely. yeah, it was a... It was a ugly game, really. It was, it, and it was a, not a pleasure to watch to be one nil down for so long. I thought it was a um, frustrating game, and I thought, "Oh, great, we're on Sky. I'm going to sit on the sofa, watch this game." It's like I sat there in a really bad mood all the time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope the mood wasn't too bad. Come the final whistle, just just yeah. quickly on the. I mean, it's a really unfortunate one with the with the open goal header, isn't it? Because Harry Wilson deserves all the plaudits he got for the fantastic goal, dragging us back into the tie. Yeah. And I think it's very, you know, it's just one of those things. Sometimes those. Uh, those 
big opportunities go begging. However, I just want to say in the build up to that, there was a foul on Mooners that I think could have been a penalty. Yeah, Farrell, did you catch it? Do you do you echo that? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I thought it was. I, it, I need to rewatch it properly back again, but it certainly on on first view and looked like a penalty. And yeah, I, it, it's just great. I think maybe the um, maybe the um, the ref just thought, oh, I'm just going to play on here, and Wilson's going to bag it. But I don't know he should have just blown up straight away for the penalty. I, I, it's crazy that it just seems to get ignored. Mm. There was one other goal scoring opportunity as well, which which I when Mitro uh, had had a shot and Wilson was clear on the right, and if he just completely unmarked, if if Mitro's never going to do that, but if he'd laid it off to Wilson, I think it, that would have been his uh, uh, an easy tap in for him. But it was just Mitro just thought I'm shooting here, I want another goal, and we who can blame him for what he's done this season, you know? But I don't know if yeah, you remember absolutely. that one. Yeah, and there was another opportunity as well where I think Harry Wilson uh, pulled it back from the right, and Fabio was in a very good position. He made a, he mm. pulled pulled away from his runner, and it ended up finding Bobby, who then blasted. It was actually very close, but he just blasted over the top right hand corner. But I thought that was a yeah. that was another big opportunity. But I mean, it's encouraging. We had opportunities yesterday, and we were undeniably the more dominant of the two sides. And I feel like John, do you feel like this draw could potentially stunt our momentum, or do you are you not yeah. really I mean, too I- concerned? That you just think it was one of those. No, I think it because we were we were struggling against uh, against Swansea as well in midweek until they had a man sent off. And I mean, look, five one looks like oh we thrashed them, but it was nil nil at half time, and then they had a man sent off. You know, so um, we with that those five goals were against ten men. So I think we we're not quite as slick and as uh, great as some of our you know uh, as some of our recent perform uh, results may give the impression you know that we are. Uh, so yeah, I think we need to. You know, it's going to be tough at West Brom, and um, we've got some tricky ones coming up. We've got Coventry coming up, Derby fighting for their life. You know, so I was. We've got Notts Forest yet to be rescheduled. They're doing really well. So I'd been on this hope that we were going to get a hundred points, and it was going to be like you know Tigana's season. I think when we're, we're not going to quite reach those heights now. I don't think. I think we'll probably end up in the nineties and go up as champions. Great. We shouldn't take that for granted. It's an incredible season. You know, it's, there's been times when it's been such a pleasure to watch Fulham, and the past few games I haven't quite felt that in the same way. Some some road to squad rotation, and hopefully we can uh, get back to what this, our swashbuckling selves. I think it's, there's something very glamorous about the idea of 100 points, 100 goals. Yeah, and uh, Jack mentioned it on the Thursday club, and he said that if this Fulham team can achieve that, then they would go down as the greatest championship team in history. So I feel like that would that has it ever happened before? I'll have Red, to. I'll have to got 106 that. points. A few, about maybe a decade and a half ago, but I can't remember how many goals they scored. Okay. That would be yeah, cool. it wasn't anywhere near 100. But that, yeah, they did obviously smash the 100 record. But 100 goals, 100 points. That would be quite something. Can I tell a story about when, I, when we last won the first division championship as it was then? Please do. I was, uh, I, was, I was there with my son who was like nine and his cousin who was 10. And it was, we had to be, I can't remember who we had to be at home to win the championship at the cottage. Oh, and, Sheffield uh, Wednesday. It, right. It was one all with about two minutes to go and we had to win it to get the championship. And the ball bounces out into my hands. And I went to my uh, nephew, why don't you throw it back? And so he went, oh, thank you. And then uh, it was uh, it was Lee <laughs> Clark or Sean Davis comes running up to me going, fucking come on. <laughs> this, this poor little 10-year-old goes, ah, and throws it back to the Fulham player taking the throw in. But... The, 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 that little delay 
obviously five second delay it must have affected the movement of the players and everything because they take the throw in Sean Davis bangs it in the back of the net we're champions at home in the last minute of the game and uh, I've got the way home I'm going he's going he's going he really shouted at me I go I know but we won because of that little delay so I'm taking credit <laughs> taking credit <laughs> that championship at home <laughs> he's got there's he's got therefore a pre-assist there's a there's a no foul exactly with the, a with pre-assist, pre-assist exactly yeah, yeah. It should be there should be a little plaque somewhere in the Stevenage Road stand <laughs> Oh, incredible. It, it is amazing how, you know, the effect that ball boys and, you know, the, yeah, the speed yeah. in which balls are reintroduced back into play. I remember my little brother will hate me for telling the story, but it's, it, when we we had Tottenham in the FA Cup and my, my little brother's, uh, he ball boyed on Fulham on many occasions oh, wow. when he was sort of like an early teenager. Oh, it wasn't Freddie, was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, you will remember it. So it was nil-nil at the time. My little brother's ball boy, he was, well, must have been about 13 at the time, but he was really young. Tottenham have a throw in an attacking position. He, just because he was, you know, trying to be diligent and good at his job, scurried over, got the ball, popped up to Kieran Trippier, who didn't even need to break his stride, running full pelt, took it in his stride, threw it down the wing. Harry Kane, next minute, 1-0. <laughs> the whole of the full of defence are looking at him like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> and then, and then bless him, he didn't, I like, clock, everyone's just like, why was he so quick? It actually ended up in the Daily Star and oh, on various other sports oh. papers saying, Tottenham fans hail Fulham ball boy for quick thinking and build up to the first goal. Oh, um, yeah, my, my oh, dad wasn't best pleased. As, uh, brutal, Freddie, sure. Freddie Coop's Spurs legend. How, how does that sound? <laughs> I, I, it's going to be, It's considering we now have like throw-in coaches, how long before Liverpool appoint a ball boy coach? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there might be a position open. They may, may hire Freddie, who knows? But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's that's it for part one. We'll be back in a moment with uh, some of your listener questions, a West Bromwich Albion preview, and then the big announcement. Don't go anywhere. Hello, it's the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm George Cooper. I'm joined by Farrell Monk, Ben Jarman and John O'Farrell. So we're going to move on to your listener questions now. And uh, Jarman, I know you touched upon this, uh, you know, the, the problems in midfield that we we witnessed at Barnsley. Two people have got in touch. So Daniel got in touch on Twitter to said, why on earth have Serian replay all three games in a week, especially with another game on Tuesday? Their fatigue, meaning we didn't press them properly, was the reason we didn't win and dominate the game, in my opinion. Points that you, I know, have said, especially with Chalibur and Tom Kearney and even Francois available. Fred Martin also echoes this point, saying, baffles me how we let opposition midfielders pick up the ball in the middle of the park and just run at the back four in the box. Harrison Reed should be in that hole to clear up or Steph Joe them if needed. I'm really enjoying the use of the term Steph Joe as a, as a verb. <laughs> I think we all know what he means. Uh, Seri, sometimes a passenger in defence, needs to switch roles with Reed. I mean, it's a tough one. I know we touched upon it just there. Like, do we stick to the winning formula? You know, we had we had three games on the bounce or allow for squad rotation. Jams, just to, just to reiterate, if you were Marcus Silva, how would you line up in the midfield against West Brom? I think there's massive need for rotation. And for me, uh, you reintroduced Tom Kearney because I thought yesterday he came on and linked the play very well. Um, wasn't a huge fan of the the massively lofty passes he was playing out there. I would prefer them a little bit more slick, but guess because the pitch was so long, that's the only way that you can sort of negate that. Um, and I wouldn't mind Chalabar in there as just a sort of uh, a little bit of a destroyer next to him to let Tom go out there and, and do his thing, you know. Um, I think that both of the questions are completely right. Um, you're, we're allowing way too many of the opposition's players to waltz through our midfield unopposed. And I think there are certain type of players, Stephanie Hansen being one of them, that wouldn't see that happen on on any given Saturday. So, um, yeah, I think we do need a little bit more bite in there. And I think, as I said in the first section, 
that there are a couple of elements of that midfield that just weren't at the races yesterday and they look like they're just desperate for a couple of days off. So let's give them that. And we have got strength in depth. You know, what other championship team has the player of the quality and calibre of Tom Kearney on their bench? Like, I can't think of another one. Um, and then, like as you say, Chalabar to come in, another good player. Francois probably wouldn't bring him in unless something really, really badly happens um, at this stage. I think... Chalabar and, and Kenny miles above him but yeah I think everyone's saying this I think it's very obvious bring Reed back into the six and let Mika Seri go into the eight or let Tom Kenny go into the eight because Reed just never looks comfortable it's very much a square peg round hole situation here for me and it's a very quick swap and I this is another slight bugbear I've got with Silver one of two is that he seems to be persisting with this imbalance in midfield when it can quite easily be overturned. Yeah, no, I agree, James. And, and Paul Andrews echoed that statement saying, reading the eight roll doesn't work for me against teams lower in the league where we need more creativity. And he also goes on to say, I'd like to see Bobby Decordova read there as he's poor at left wing. Is it time for Hilton to get a go instead of Fabio? Seems more disinterested as the weeks go. So we've got a few things to unpick there. However, Michael B also got in touch to say Fabio has, has Fabio gone off the boil does BDR deserve a run centrally where he's much more effective so John do you do you two think that Fabio's gone off the boil a bit or do you think we're being a little bit harsh and we, would being, you like to see I think we're being a bit Is harsh it? on him I, as, there are moments where you think he's about it's like a coiled spring and you think he's ready to go I, I think it won't be long till we see another great goal from him and there was a moment where he was running through yesterday and I thought it was going to end with a goal and he got sort of uh, crowded out right at the end. Um, I still think he's such a class player that we'd be mad not to play him. And Bobby had some pretty dodgy finishes yesterday as well. He was blasting over more than once, I think. So, um, no, I'd put, I I'd sort of, I agree about Reed, and I think that uh, Kearney seems like such an obvious first choice. But um, but Fabio, I think we should start. He's a, we're, we're lucky to have him and we should keep playing him whilst we've got him. Yep, excellent. So Farrell, Ryan got in touch here. So this is Ryan Plays Games 9 on Twitter saying, our philosophy of play out the back is vital to how we play. But once we're put under a tiny amount of pressure, we make big mistakes. How do we combat this slash what's plan B for when we inevitably come against far more organised attacking press in the Prem? What do you think, Farrell? Um, I agree. I certainly agree with the first point and I spoke a little bit about earlier in terms of, you know, it's in this playing out the back is is integral to the system i do disagree that we get like when we get a little bit of pressure that we we buckle um i think actually we're quite excellent at that at playing out you know playing under the pressure of it all um many of our attacks come from the fact that we draw the opposition out and create spaces in behind them for our you know our passing defenders to 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 exploit um but it, you know, it's obviously pronounced because it's like if a striker makes a mistake, not nothing really comes of it. If a defender comes makes a mistake, then you know it usually results in some sort of goal opportunity. Yeah, of course it's going to I, like like John said earlier. I think mixing it up a little bit, like with the corners. I think mixing up with it, we don't seem to like go long as much, or we don't hit the wings as often as probably we would like. We we tend to sort of like go straight from Tosin or Reem into Mitro and then out again, rather than, you know, linking the play with our midfield or even just hitting it over the wings, uh, over the fullbacks for the wingers to run onto as much. I don't think Cabano's as good at that, whereas Wilson is. Cabano really likes the ball to feet and then likes to beat his man if we've seen over and over again. But yeah, I think that, you know, when it comes to the Premier Division, the uh, Premier League next year, let's face that problem 
when we when we come to it. I'm sure that we'll look at what other players we can get in to sort of, and maybe to switch up that style of play, not to play out for the back for, as much. I mean, it kind of worked in the Premier League last season under Parker, but we just couldn't we just couldn't hear Barndor with a banjo, so it didn't really. Um, it was it was nothing to do with whether we can play out the back. It was more of a, our attacking players not not really hitting it very well. Mm, on that point uh, of getting new faces in, so this is a question from Julian Eccles. I'm going to throw this one to you, John. With several horns now duly sounded. Who do we honestly and unsentimentally think from the current squad is Premier League quality? So who who do you reckon, John? Oh, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, because we've yeah. seen some of these players in the Premier League. I mean, I remember when we were in the Premier League thinking Ream was out of his depth then. But I don't know, maybe he's just, he seems so good now in the league we're in. I wonder if he's grown as a player, he'll be stronger, uh, or whether we'll get back up a division and suddenly think, yeah, he's not cutting it against world-class, you know, some of the best attackers in the world. So, um yeah, there's a there's quite a few in that squad who we've seen struggle in that division, and I don't know if it was just because it was Parker's tactics. Maybe uh, you know Silver will make it click better. We're so dominant in this division that you would think we would be, you know, above the bottom three next season, and that we'll be you know aiming for a solid mid-table finish. It's hard to know. You know, Mitro couldn't get the goals in the Premier League, but did, maybe he didn't get the service, and he will get the service with the setup we've got at the moment. Uh, he's clearly an outstanding goal scorer. He's getting goals for Serbia. So I hope he'll be getting lots of goals in the Premier League next season if we get up. We can't we can't <laughs> say we're up yet, guys. It's just tempting too much fate. Yeah. If, fingers crossed, we make it. <laughs> God, I think it was decided recently that we're allowed to start saying when, not if. Oh, but it's good to hear that, John, you're, you're erring I'm on the side a, of caution. When, on just this out one. of interest, which game is it? Do we mathematically think it's going to happen? Is it is it the Coventry game? When It'd be nice if it was a home I game, mean, wouldn't it? If you look at our fixtures coming up, so we've obviously yeah. got uh, QPR. I think obviously it'll be, it would, although it would have been poetry to see that happen. I think unfortunately yeah, yeah. it's coming a little bit too soon. Middlesbrough on the sixth of April, Coventry on the ninth, tenth uh, of April now because that's, that's been moved to that, Sunday that's three o'clock. Home, home game. I yeah. mean, logic would say Coventry, Derby, or Preston. But right. well, what do you right. think, John? I th- I'm hoping Coventry actually. Coventry at home would be great because it's uh, they beat us four one. So to to that's our worst defeat of the season. So to have them back at the cottage and be runaway champions with you know at home against them would be great. I mean, I too hope it's going to be Coventry, and it's linked to the special announcement that's going to be coming up in part three. But that uh, we'll have to wait for that. Jams, just just quickly, where where do you think it's going to happen? Uh, Cov at home, I think. Yeah. Cov at home. Okay, yeah. let's go for Cov at home. Yeah, we'll, we'll go for that. That's the, yeah, it's decided. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> cool. Nice one. Uh, we got another question from Elizabeth Barnard. Uh, I'm going to use an old school radio term, but friend of the pod uh, who, who often gets in touch with us. And we've, we've spoken about this uh, situation at length, I'd say, on the podcast. But she said, just bringing it up again, what do we think about the goalkeeping situation, both for the rest of the season and next year if we go up? I feel Rodak was so good when he came back into the starting eleven in the autumn, but it's been a bit disappointing recently. Um, I saw a few people as well on Twitter say, I, I think it's, incredibly harsh to criticise a goalkeeper for not saving a penalty. However, somebody raised the question, has Rodak ever saved the penalty that he's faced? Um, I'm personally under the belief that I think that he deserves a shot um, with the number one jersey if slash when we go up. I don't think he's done much to um, say that we need to get someone else in, but a few people have been a little bit, say, 
disappointed with his performances so far. Ben, where do you stand on this on this um, ongoing hot debate about Rodak? I I, don't, I think because everyone's so in love with Ariola from last season that they've kind of want Ariola to come back, but I don't think it's that simple. Like. It's exactly the same as when Matty Target was here on loan and everyone loved him. We tried to get him back and it just wasn't that easy. But I think Rodak's a brilliant keeper. And I've, I've by no means do I think that he's reached his maximum potential in a Fulham shirt either. I think he still has a lot to give. He's a relatively young keeper, given that there are still keepers out there. You know, like Handanovic is still knocking around at 37 years old. Buffon's still playing at 40 plus. He's got a long career ahead of him. And I think that he's still got a long way to go with us. You know, whether he saved a penalty or not, I don't think has any real bearing. I mean, it's nice if a keeper can save a penalty, but if you look at it, it's not a 50-50 whether a striker scores a penalty or not. It's quite heavily weighted in their favour. That's why they're such, you know, they're such a big price to pay if you foul someone in the box. So, um, yeah, I, I think that Rodak will be good enough for us next season, for sure. And I think that the only reason why people are saying that he may not be is because the influence that Ariola had uh, in that season last year. And my my cards are firmly on the table. I think Rodak can be our guy uh, and I want him to be our guy for the next few years. Good stuff. John, what do you think? I, I, I don't know. I mean, if you think about, um, you know, when we, we had a great Premier League team, when we, had, when we had Edward van der Zaar, you think, well, that was a, one of the best keepers in the world and we had him at Fulham. And I wonder if we're going to need someone that good to uh, to keep out the, the Ronaldos and the, you know, uh, the, the, the Wilfred Sahars or whatever. These great strikers are going to be coming at us next season. Rodak has not really been tested at that level. So if there was the opportunity to buy, you know, a really top world-class keeper we should grab it i don't know if the money's there or the or they want to come to the cottage but uh maybe they'll be selling the entire chelsea team and we can have our pickings of that and they can just come down the road everything must go yeah we can get, <laughs> we can get uh, bets back then can't yeah. we yeah yeah yeah, yeah there's no yeah. way i'm having kepper so yeah, yeah. <laughs> he can Here's take penalties kepper yeah. Yeah. Oh God, what an outcome that was. You probably talked about that. That's hilarious. That was I think that penalty shootout was the, the best possible. I mean, generally in penalty shootouts, it's win-win for a goalkeeper. Yeah. That was the only possible situation in which Rose. the goalkeeper could come out looking like the tit of the team. Fail to save a single penalty and then blast yours into Rose Ed. Absolutely. But that was the manager genius. for putting him on. That was karma. That was bad. It was just it was rude to the keeper who'd been on before. You play you keep a clean sheet for two hours and then you get taken off, and that's what happens. So it's hilarious. Fantastic. <laughs> on that note, thanks so much for everyone who got in touch with their questions. We'll be right back with a little West Brom preview and our exciting announcement. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the Fulhamish Podcast. I'm joined by John O'Farrell, Farrell Monk and Ben Jarman. How are we all doing, gentlemen? We're all very good. We're all relieved with the draw. We're happy with the draw. Looking forward to beating West Brom next week. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. So a little update on the progress towards mathematically securing the league title and automatic promotion. This is from our friend Cottage Analytica, who does fantastic um, things with data, all related to Fulham. So just a quick update. Points required to secure promotion. This is mathematically, so irrespective of other results. So after yesterday's draw at Barnsley, it was reduced from 17 to 14 points. So that's 14 points away from mathematically securing promotion. And points required to secure the league title are now reduced from 26 to 25. 
So it's looking good, you know. We're, we're, we're John's still in camp when I oh know if sorry, yeah. but I'm I'm feeling I'm creeping more towards uh, towards that, if. And if he's using mathematical uh, criterion, there, then uh, he's probably uh, not counting our goal difference as a whole point, which it is really because he's yeah. he's saying if another team wins a game thirty nil or something, which isn't going to happen. So. I think it actually is. is I think he? I think goal difference is wrong. Don't quote me on it, but I think I saw him in the in the thread basically accounting for our right. goal difference okay. as a point. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Oh well, thirteen's all right. Thirteen's doable. It, just a note on our goal difference. It's absolutely absurd in comparison to the rest of the league, oh, isn't it's it? Hilarious. It's like yeah. we're on like fifty nine, and the nearest one on that is less than half of that. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. One it's has, Bournemouth no, on twenty three. No one has scored as many goals as our goal difference. I think it's like you know, it's insane. <laughs> it, is, it is absurd. And long may it continue. It yeah. certainly won't be the case next year. So let's enjoy it while we <laughs> enjoy it while we can. <laughs> um, just a quick note on West Brom. So currently sat fourteenth in the table. They're they're twentieth in the form table. Steve Bruce aside and a dramatic point on Friday night. I don't know if anyone saw the saw the game. It was bonkers. Probably go down as one of the craziest games uh, this season. So two terrible mistakes from West Brom keeper Johnstone. Two goals from Wards uh, put them 2-0 down. Andy Carroll grabbing a last minute equaliser in, in dramatic fashion. Um, I mean, James, West Brom have been a bit of a funny team this year. Uh, sort of games have been riddled with defensive errors. They do have a threat going forwards in Andy Carroll. How? What do you think we can do to, to nullify that threat? Are there any other causes for concern with West Brom? Because they're a bit, a bit of a sort of strange team this year. Yeah, they're a very strange team. And I think obviously the way you stop Andy Carroll is by cutting out at source. And they tend to play with the the wing backs now, uh, West Brom. They've got Furlong and Townsend who like to get quite high and get that, that ball in the box. I think one of the one of the players that's going to probably affect us quite a lot is is the quality of Carlon Grant. I really like him. I think he at championship level there there are a few players that have as much of an impact as as Carlon Grant uh, and alongside um Robinson I think they make quite a good duo. So we'll have to be very much aware of them. But I think Fulham overall are much about a team and it's going to be whether that that center half that comes in and and steps in for Reem can do so seamlessly. Um, and yeah, we're going to need to to cut out at source uh, and, and stop those balls coming into the box. But that's if Carroll starts. I don't I don't think since he's transferred, he's actually started a game yet. He came on yesterday on, on Friday on 69 minutes. So we may see uh, Robinson and, and Grant up top. Yeah, I think Bruce changed that up and Callum Robinson and, and Grant have, have started the last two, I believe, because he wanted more mobility and Carroll at, in the twilight of his career, shall we say, um, maybe, maybe doesn't quite offer that. But I mean, he's he's a real threat. So Carroll's won more aerial duels per 90 minute than any other player to have played more than 135 minutes in the championship since he joined West Brom in January. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 um, it's a difficult one. He's obviously a threat. He scored two of the best. Yeah, two incredible disallowed goals. Two incredible disallowed goals against us when we uh, when we beat Reading but I mean we know he's a threat he can pull he's one of those players that can pull something out of nothing and, and hopefully we can nullify that so John Mitro netted his second hat-trick against West Brom at home in October yeah. and as we said this team do have many defensive errors in them but do you expect we'll exploit these frailties and come back with three points I hope so I mean West Brom were going to be when we at the beginning of the season they were the one of the teams we're looking out for to hope they lost because they were promotion contenders. Everyone was there and the, the bookies had them as going up with Fulham and Bournemouth, you know, I don't know quite what happened to West Brom. They sort of uh, sank without trace this season. And, uh, 
now they're they but you know you go up there thinking oh i hope we get three points but then that's what i thought about barnsley as well so you just don't know uh which way this is going to which way this is going to go i feel like off the back of that uh performance uh yesterday uh that Fulham will get it together and we'll get uh, a solid result there. And it'd be nice, nice to have another seven nil away win because we haven't had one of those for a while. Or another six two. I'm missing those. These five ones aren't good enough for me. I needed a six two or a seven nil again. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, <laughs> yeah, to, too to, right. To get that hundred goal tally and to get Mitro breaking all records, that would be great. I'm starting at West Brom. Wouldn't it just? Farrow, have you got anything to add on on the West Brom game at all? No, not massively. I, I mean, I'm. Still going into it largely confident. Obviously, Steve Bruce had such a horrid start to to his West Bromwich Albion career. But um yeah, I, I think I think back to like Ben's point about the rotation. Yeah, let's let's do some rotation, especially in that centre mid. Get Reed back in the six, get Kearney on uh in the eight, or because I thought when Kearney came on, by the way, yesterday, he was he was so good in the second mm. half. He was so good and he's, he's adapted his game a bit more. He's a bit more of the rough housing and you can see just the quality just oozes off him. It's just, it's just lovely. So you can see like he's confident, he's fit again. Let's get him back in on Tuesday. Yeah, he's looking strong as well. He made some very important tackles and interceptions yesterday when he came on, which is a side of his game that maybe hasn't been the most dominant um, in, in previous seasons. But yeah, no, it'd be good to see him back into the fold. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's hope for three points on Tuesday. It'll be interesting, you know, because as you said, we're going to be rotating a lot and there's a lot of tired legs out there. So it's I think it's quite a difficult one to call. But I think upon balance, we can we can expect three points and a 7-0 victory. Um, <laughs> so just one final thing from us before we um, close up the podcast. I've got very very, very exciting announcement to make. So the chaps unanimously came to the decision that we are going to secure promotion after the Coventry game, which is Saturday, the 10th of April. And Fulhamish are very excited to announce that we will be doing a live end of season party at the iconic Half Moon in Putney. So anyone who wants to come, it's going to be a really fun night. We did a similar thing a couple of years back at the Old Suffolk Punch. And uh, more details will be coming out uh, regarding tickets for that. But it's going to be after the Coventry game on Sunday, the 10th of April at the Half Moon Putney, which is just a short walk over the bridge. And we're gonna, we've got some very exciting special guests in the, uh, in the pipeline. We're going to be dissecting the game and reflecting upon the season. It's going to be a fantastic evening. You know, we'll have an opportunity to have a drink afterwards, I'm sure, and hopefully celebrate what is Fulham's promotion back into the Premier League. All profits from this event will be going to efforts in Ukraine, um, aid sources. We've not yet decided on the charity, but all of the profits from the tickets are going to go to you know efforts in supporting aid and charities that are doing stuff in Ukraine. So we're really excited. It's quite a small venue. There. I think it's about sort of 200 capacity. So if you do want to get tickets, we'll uh, be following up on our website with, with all the details that you need. But yeah, no, we're very excited about it. We, we were in talks with a few little venues trying to find a place suitable. Oh but the yeah. half moon is genuinely iconic it's you know the rolling stones have played there i think elvis costello kate Bush, you know it's it's a it's a really cool little venue Sly and Jinx it's have gonna... played there too obviously <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't gonna say that but yeah though no, they them to bring it bringing the average down somewhat but <laughs> but yeah keep your eyes peeled across our social media and our website and we've got all the details but um but yeah we hope to see you there you bet farrell and ben you're at the last one that we did the old suffolk punch and you know it was it was it was a good fun evening wasn't it it was great. Oh, I got booed. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you always get booed. 
Yeah, I got I got booed because I said that Stephanie Hansen had a really bad game and Sean Davis didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember uh, one previous time when we won the what was probably then the first division championship, I went down to the Cottage Pub with my mate. The Cottage Pub is on the other side of Fulham Palace Road. It's been turned into flats now, but it was a real Fulham pub. And uh, it was absolutely packed out with joyous Fulham fans. We'd won the championship. And he started telling me this anecdote, rather long anecdote, and somebody put We Are The Champions on the jukebox and he started to tell my mate was talking and he said so i came down the thing and what happened was i was had to get my car in and it was uh, this, in the background it was going i've paid my dues and committed no crime i was thinking as he was telling this episode, in a minute it's going to go we are the champions and everyone is going to join in and my mate just before he got to the end of his interesting anecdote freddie mercury sings we are the champions the whole pub erupts and he was going i can't hear you mate i can't hear we are the champions <laughs> it's just like such a brilliant he, he was the only person on, unaware that the whole pub was going to erupt at that moment so that's what i want to that's what somebody's got to put that on the jukebox at the half moon on the yes. uh, on the 5th of uh, april is it so yeah, it was the 10th sunday 10th of 10th, april 10th of april oh. Yeah. I'll I'll tell a long anecdote or something yeah, we'll exactly. so that no one has to hear it and we can just sing We Are The Champions instead. Yeah, and my nephew has to be at the side of the pitch to throw the ball back, you know, slightly late <laughs> if that moment comes. Oh, it'll be, it'll be really good fun. We're, like, we're all absolutely buzzing and, you know, all, all proceeds go to, you know, fantastic causes in, in you could help efforts in Ukraine. So, yeah, keep keep your eyes peeled for, for, for more further announcements and further details. But I, yeah. thought, I thought your announcement was going to be about the uh, Riverside stand. That's, that's open. They've, they've given us the mm-hmm. dates for that. I've got this theory, you know, the whole of sides of it are covered up with polythene. You can't see what's behind them. I've got this nervous idea that they might pull those things away and it's a massive, 10 times bigger Michael Jackson statue behind <laughs> <laughs> I I would love to see it just to see how much it boils the piss of every other every other football fan yeah, in the country. Yeah. <laughs> it would be good, wouldn't it? Anyway, but I'm excited about getting the whole ground full as well, so that would be good. That should be great. Uh, Farrell, you've got I, I believe there was an announcement this week saying that the lower tier will be open for summer. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. We've obviously at trust level we've been talking to the club about it for quite some time because it's been such a thing but it's going to be sort of like two years late by the time it fully opens in Blimey. well hopefully in uh well 20 2023 24 season which seems wow. remarkable hopefully Look, we can it, yeah. Yeah, only, only been, two years it looks sort only of finished two. from where we're sitting it looks like the chairs are all there just let them all in yeah we need to take the plastic I, off the seats and then jobs are good in we're I in mean, to be fair the, the three builders who watch the uh, game from there they make about as much noise as a riverside stand used to do anyway so, <laughs> oh, absolutely especially although did, although did you notice the, uh, the sleeping builder at oh, uh, yeah. Huddersfield's I, I, I absolutely loved that and then they had to, and they had to like get another builder to come over and relieve him of his duties <laughs> oh, I believe all the Huddersfield supporters were singing, he's falling asleep, he's falling asleep, how shit must you be, he's falling asleep. Very good. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, on that note, all that's left to do is name the podcast. Farrell, would you do the honours, take the pick of the, oh, sorry, Ben, you, you were in charge of the three-word reviews, as you were, Farrell. Which one are you going for? I'm going to go for Londinium's Callings, Wilson's Wonder and Blunder. And I've put the spelling in the chat, so none of you can come at me and say it's four letters or four words. It's a very... Got you. It's four words. <laughs> oh, I'll let that I'll let that one slide, but I mean, slightly tenuous. I like it. Yeah, we'll, we'll let it happen. Ben, you, you, you've you've chosen well. And uh, yeah, thank you so much, uh, John O'Farrell, for joining us. Appreciate it. Pleasure sir. to be on the show. Thank you very much, Ben Jarman. Thank you very much, George Cooper. And Farrell Monk, always a pleasure. 
<laughs> Thanks, George. Uh, we'll be back on Thursday for Thursday Club with Jack and Peter. Um, but yeah, until then, have a great week. Come on, you whites. Come on, you whites. Toodles. <laughs>